I want to talk to you today about real truth. Real truth. And uh, we've done a series about real church. And I really felt in my heart that the Lord really impressed that upon me. You know, to, we need to remind ourselves to be the real deal, to be the real church. And then we talked about last week about the real gospel. What is the nature of the message that we preach? What is the essence so that what we preach is, is purged of any human, humanistic thinking, but it's, it's really the authentic word of God for us and for the world that we're living in. And we saw last week that, that the word comes, comes in power, comes with a power that confirms it, a power that attests to its reality. And so it's a word that we can trust, we can rely upon. It's, it's a word that we can have faith in. Now today I want to talk about real truth because I don't think there is consensus in the world today about what truth is. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so let's read John chapter 18. It says in verse 36, Jesus answered. Now, Jesus is standing before Pilate, um, and uh, he's, he's about to be judged by him. In those last few moments of the life of Jesus, he was judged six times, three times by uh, religious authorities and three times by civil authorities. Uh, authorities, and he's standing now before the governor. And uh, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, uh, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone say truth. Everyone who is of the truth, everyone say truth, hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, well, I've got no time for this. <laughs> I find no fault at all in this man. Truth. Up until that point, he was conversing, he was speaking with uh, Jesus. But when he mentioned truth, I mean, truth was a real kind of conversation stopper. And, and it's probably a bit like that today. To a lot of people, once we mention truth, it's, it's really a conversation stopper. They look at you like, don't tell me one of those radical fundamentalist, crazy fanatic. No, I don't have time for this. Truth. What is truth? And um, although Pilate didn't see anything objectively wrong with Jesus, he said, I have found no, found no fault in him. But he had no time for a conversation about what is truth. And then he just dismissed Jesus. It, was, it just kind of stopped the conversation right there and said, well, what is truth? It's like whatever. Whatever is truth. You know, what is truth? And exactly like in the days that we're living in, Truth in those days had no fixed standard, had no fixed standard. You know, the Roman Empire extended far and wide into the four corners of the known world of those days, and, uh, and there were so many different cultures and countries and, and so many different religions and so many different philosophies and so many different ways of thinking that, uh, uh, you know, in order to keep 
what in Latin is known, Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace. For the sake of keeping the Roman peace amongst people of so many diverse beliefs and so many different gods and so many, you know, they probably thought it was a higher value to keep tolerance rather than to be fixed in a particular truth. So tolerance, accepting the truth as relative, was of greater value to affirming one particular truth, one particular way of thinking. Also, you know, the Romans were, they had a religious view that was pluralistic. They basically, basically worshipped anything that moved. They worshipped, they had their own mythology. They worshipped the, the gods of the Romans. They worshipped the gods of the Greeks. Once they started expanding beyond those borders, they, they even worshipped the barbarian gods and goddesses and they even ended up worshiping their own emperor. You know, emperor was God to them. And, and they were okay with that. They were okay with many, many gods, but they were not okay with someone coming and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They were okay with many shades of what they perceived truth to be or ideas or ideologies, but as long as no one would kind of narrow it all down to just one way of thinking. You know, truth was not... Absolute truth was relative, subjective, was personal, a little bit like today. Sometimes you talk to people, they go like, well, what is truth? Truth is relative to my experience. You know, until you've walked in my shoes, don't tell me about your truth and what you believe. You know, truth is relative to uh, one's experience of life, one's uh, ideas and so on and so forth. So uh, in those days, it was not different. It was exactly like that. And I think that in, in the late 1800s, there was a man, Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche, he, he was a proponent of this very thing, that truth is, is relative, that there's no fixed standard for truth. And, and he kind of amplified the thoughts of Greek philosophy. And, and it's interesting that man died in, in the 1900s, but, but his thoughts are still shaping the way a lot of people think these days, especially in our postmodern world. The postmodern world is exactly characterized by the absence of absolutes. And to actually mention truth to someone is actually socially unacceptable. You know, it has come to that. You know, to quote Dr. Phil, popular Dr. Phil, how, does that work? how is that working for you? Well, how did that work for Nietzsche? Well, Nietzsche died um, of suicide in the 1900s. He died a very poor a horrible death in a mental asylum. Uh, his ideas, how great may, people may think they are, didn't work for him. So what I'm talking to you today is something that will work, amen. Truth works. Come on, truth works. Amen. So Pilate asked the question, but he never waited for the answer. He asked the question, but he didn't stick around to hear the answer. He was staring in the eyes of the very truth, Jesus but he stopped listening, he stopped looking at him, and he moved to the crowd, and he didn't stick around for the answer. Up until that statement, up until that final statement of Jesus regarding truth, Pilate was happy to engage in the conversation and talk to Jesus about different things. So you're, so you're king, oh great, wow, good, um, and so on and so forth. But, but it was, suddenly Jesus mentioned truth, and I think probably in the, in, in the mind of a cultured, civilized Roman, because that's how they saw themselves. They were, they were civilized, they were cultured, they were not like the barbarians, they were cultured, civilized. So to, and cultured, civilized 
uh, European man uh, in, in, uh, in Jerusalem in those days, he thought, well, it's really uncool to talk about truth. It's really uncool to, you know, bring up that topic, that subject. You know, uh, he probably thought, well, this man that is, is obviously narrow-minded, is, is obviously someone who is, has a very narrow view of things. Amen. So the claim of Jesus regarding truth seemed to be out of touch with the current thought of the day. Uh, it seemed maybe arrogant even of Jesus to talk about truth. Who does he think he is? <laughs> uh, who does he think he is for, you know, talking to someone like me who I am a governor and I am civilized and I am cultured. You know, however, the nature of truth is indeed narrow. Let me just put it out there straight away. The, narrow, uh, this, the nature of truth is narrow. If a mathemati mathematics teacher uh, is narrow-minded to say that 2 plus 2 only equals 4, I want you to know that the truth is narrow. The only acceptable answer to 2 plus 2 is 4. And the thing about truth is that truth excludes error. Truth excludes error. So if 2 and 2 is 4, then it's not 5. It's not 10. It's not depending on how you look at it. It's not like, well, in my experience, I had two apples that I kind of make. No, listen, we're not talking about some circus magic trick. We're talking about facts in you know, mathematics. Two plus two can only equal four. And the, the, so truth is narrow, and truth always comes at the exclusion of, of, um, of error and something that is false. You know, indeed, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14, he said, narrow is the way that leads to life. And are few, few are those who find it. So listen, I'm reading the words of Jesus. Jesus was narrow-minded. He said, narrow is the way that leads to salvation. And few are those who find it. It's narrow because there's really only one way. You know, it's not like there's all these other ways you can come to God. It's not like there's all these other religions and at the end of the day, they kind of all end up in the same place. No. Amen. So, you know, why is it so important to embrace the concept of absolute truth in, in the different areas of life? Simply because life has consequences for being wrong. You give someone a bad medication, the wrong medication, and it will kill them. You make a bad, a wrong financial decision, it can ruin you or set you back into a place of loss. Uh, you know, uh, you take the wrong plane, you end up in the wrong destination. It's not like, well, truth is relative, you know. This plane is going to Honolulu. And, you know, for sure I'll end up in Auckland. Or No, it doesn't work like that. And nowhere are the consequences more important when it comes to faith and when it comes to eternal things, that is the one thing no one should ever get wrong. Because eternity is an awfully long time to be wrong. Can somebody help me preach today? 
Amen. It's not like, let, let me devil on this and that, and let me try this religion, that religion. Listen, <laughs> you better get this right. This is the one thing you, you better not get wrong. So um, it, it's so interesting. We started reading it in John, and um, it, it's right, it, right through the, actually, the, the writings of John, more than any other writer of the New Testament, th th there's a constant, there's two things that are constant. One is love. He's the apostle of love, but he's also the apostle of truth. And if you write through, I'm going to just mention a few, and this is, this is not an exhaustive uh, list, but let's start with John 8.32. 8, John 8.32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yes, it's narrow the way, but it leads to life. Yes, it's narrow the way, but it's, it leads you to freedom. Amen? So, so he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let me just say this as well, just as I thought. The Bible doesn't say, you shall, you shall carry the truth, and the truth will make you free. Like, I've got the biggest Bible in this whole church. It's really big. I want everyone to see that I'm not reading from the Reader's Digest. It's really the Bible. You can carry the Bible. You can have the truth under your arm. But that's not going to set you free. It's the truth that you know that's going to set you free. It's the truth that you occupy yourself and read at home. And it, it's the truth that you embrace, and that you engage with, that's going to set you free. Amen? It's not just even having heard the truth. It's the truth that you know that will set you free. You know, the Bible says my people are perished because of lack of knowledge. You know, if you don't read the Bible, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you're reading your Bible, you are in contact, you're engaging with the truth. And that truth, once it's known to you, revealed to your spirit, it will bring freedom like nothing else is going to. So the truth will set you free. Um, the other day I was a little bit worried. Anyone, has, have you ever had worry in your life? <laughs> Do you live in this planet? Any islands out there? I was a little bit worried with something. And, and let me just say how this works for me. I, I came across Deuteronomy 32, 36. It says, it says, ascribe greatness to our God. I was so worried, and I came across the scripture, ascribe greatness to our God. And the, I felt the Holy Spirit, who always works with the Word, saying to me, you're ascribe, ascribing greatness to your problem. How big is your God? Ascribe greatness to God. Don't ascribe greatness to your problem because when you ascribe greatness to your problem, you are empowering worry. You're empowering anxiety in your life. You, when you ascribe greatness to, to God, then you are empowering God to be who he said he is. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I thought, well, that's such a good message that I received from God. It just set me free from worry right there. Wow. I went from being worried and weighed down to suddenly I'm like, whoa, truth exploded on inside of me. I engaged with the truth. Ascribe greatness to our God. And I wrote in my book, my notebook, I wrote, I, I started writing, God, you're greater than. And then I said all the things that I was worried with. My wife, the dog. The, no, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I'm an open book. What can I say? You know, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. John 8, 44. Now, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And you are of your father, the devil, a desire the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Everyone say truth. truth. 
You know, the problem with the devil is that he could not stand in the truth. And, and, and that's why he went to Adam and Eve and said, did God say? Because he was trying to shake them from the truth. He's trying to move them from the truth. The devil could not stand in the truth. He's a liar and the father of it. And in, who, in him there is no truth at all. Now maybe there's someone watching right now. And the devil said he's going to take you out. Listen, relax. It just means that you're going to be fine. Because he can't tell the truth. Amen. How many of you the devil's told you you're going to go bankrupt? If it's the devil, don't worry. He cannot speak the truth. He's speaking the lie. So the truth is on the other side of the equation. It will be well with you. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody help me preach today. Hallelujah. It is well with my soul. John 8, 44. And I will read that one. We could read it again. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know how, do you know the courage that it took to say that to a pluralistic um, uh, crowd to say, I am the way, the truth, the life. But that's Jesus. John 16, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he is, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. It's not the spirit of error. The spirit of truth. One day someone came to me and said, God told me to divorce my wife because he has a better wife for me. The Holy Spirit. No, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit of error. Amen? That's the spirit of error. The Holy Spirit doesn't contradict His word. He's the spirit of truth. Get your act together and go and love your wife. Buy a dinner, something. Repent. 1 John 4, 6. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. And he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of, of truth and the spirit of error. Second uh, John 1, 4, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth. What happened to the others? Some were walking in the truth. That's a, that's, that's a warning for us. It's like, whoa, I want to be of those that walk in the truth. Third John 1, 3, for I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you as you walk in the truth. Everyone say truth. Now, since the New Testament puts such an emphasis on truth, believers of all people should walk in it and never compromise, never be wobbly in their beliefs. I'm talking to you today as your pastor. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of, uh, we're having a little conversation here today. Let's never be wobbly. There was this man on TV. I mean, okay, he was, I've never been in this position, you know, with cameras and being interviewed by Larry King. This is CNN, Larry King Live. So, Mr. Preacher, tell me, is God, is Jesus the only way to God? And he's kind of fumbled and, well, yeah, you know, there's lots of good people. Just let's tell it like it is. Let's not be wobbly about the truth. Let's, let's not be, let's just, I mean, say the truth in love, okay? Don't, don't be obnoxious and just kind of 
be, uh, you know, holier than thou kind of thing. That, is, that would be wrong. And don't ever judge people. But let's tell it like it is. Let's tell it this is the truth. If your child, if you want to teach your child about fire, you won't just, you won't beat around the bush. You don't go like, well, you know, the stove is really, the, the stove is really hot. But you know, just, no, you said don't touch the thing. You're going to burn your little fingers. Now, truth should permeate our whole worldview. It, 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 it should dictate where we stand when it comes to many of the current issues being debated in our society today. Amen? We, it should. Uh, so so there's, there's a number of issues out there for discussion. We see that every day. And, you know, what should really dictate our worldview, uh, where we stand as far as those things are, is the truth of the Word of God. You know, when it comes to human sexuality, what does the Bible say? If you struggle with something, I mean, just, just go to the Bible and, and, and have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Go like, Holy Spirit, help me with this. Let, let me try to understand this. Human sexuality, family. I understand a lot of these things are, are now for redefinition. Uh, um, and life in the womb issues, current issues. Life in the womb, the, the sacredness of life and, and, and things like euthanasia and, and things like ethical issues around... Um, biotechnology, around genetics, about um, other areas of medicine and so on and so forth. Listen, don't, we, let's not get mad with the world if they, if they don't hold our worldview, but let's not quit our worldview, which is word-based, to embrace their worldview, which is not truth, is error, is vague, is, you know, amen. Is this helping anyone here today? Now, I don't ever talk politics, so you'll never hear me preach politics, not my lane. So the only thing you'll hear me say is this, you know, when you vote and do vote, and, and when you vote, you know, vote for, uh, uh, vote in line with where you stand in, in regards to the truth. And those that are probably closest to what you believe the truth as explained in the Word of God. Amen? Okay, that's all I had to say, and I'm going to leave it there. Okay? I'm not into parties and politics. I'm into Jesus. But we're also citizens, and it's our duty to vote. So let's, let's vote in line with what we believe. Amen. All right. Now, number four. I'm about to close. I hope this is helping someone here today. <laughs> Some of our young people, I, I, I hey. Hey, I, I, I'm young as well, you know, I'm just only 25, so, so I understand, I really understand, guys, I really understand all the stuff, you know, I, I understand, I, I studied to be a lawyer, a lawyer, I mean, a lawyer, and, um, a lawyer, and, uh, and I remember it was always like, everything was relative, you know, court case, you know, he stole from the supermarket, did he? Did he have a premedal condition that we need to consider so that we get? I mean, you know, I'm like, no, I, I understand the struggle today to kind of see everything as relative and, and kind of not absolute. I understand that. I understand that people are going to call you narrow-minded and, and all kinds of crazy names, but, but let's stick with Jesus. If you're Jesus, you're, with, you're good. 
You're good. You can't go wrong. But I believe that one of the toughest battles we are facing in these last days, in these last times, in these end times, is the battle for truth. It's the battle for truth. It's, the, it's going to be the toughest battle that we are going and are already facing. The battle for truth. You know, and I would like to recommend, please read at home, Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. But I'm going to take you to Romans 1 and just read a few verses with you, okay? Verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed. Okay? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the truth, of the truth that sets people free. I'm not ashamed. Uh, because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, can I stop right there and say, suppress the truth, another translation says, who hinder the truth. Can I just, does this scripture reveal that God is deeply, that God feels very strongly about what is truth and what is not truth? That God is deeply displeased with people who suppress or hinder the truth? God feels very strongly about truth. You know, uh, they... There are people in our society, and some of them end up in positions of power, who want to create their own narrative of truth, and they want you to believe in it. And they may turn it into legislation. And there are, they have a deliberate agenda. I, I'm, not, I'm not into conspiracies, okay? I'm just reporting fact. Is, that a fact. is this a fact? It is a fact. They have a deliberate agenda. They suppress the truth. They hinder the truth. And the Bible says God is deeply displeased with those kinds of people. Verse 25, who exchange the truth of God for the lie. You would think that everybody wants the truth, but let me just say it out. Let me put it out there. Not everybody actually wants the truth. Because sometimes the truth implies change. Sometimes the truth confronts us into a place where you go like, well, I have to, I have to change. Sometimes the truth is uncomfortable. Amen. But it is the truth. Verse 28. And even as they did not call, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things that are not fitting. A debased mind. What is a debased mind? Okay, let me translate that. It's a mind that is incapable of moral or ethical discernment. It's like... God gave them over. It's like, if that's the way you want to go, if that's, our, if that's your choice, if that's your decision, then, then I'll give you over to a mind to, that is incapable of moral or ethical discernment. Now, and in the world that we're living in, we see an increased inability to discern between truth and lie, between right and wrong, between good and evil. And we are living increasingly in a gray area where nothing is black and white anymore but vague, ambiguous, and, and changing. I, uh, I, I'm amazed that sometimes some of the things, you know, they want to legalize everything. And, and, uh, and I'm thinking, well, maybe one day they'll legalize robbing the bank. Who knows? Values are always changing. It's like one day they'll come up with a law. It's perfectly legal to rob the bank. Go and help yourself. 
I mean, there are things right now that were unthinkable 10 years ago. Amen. And there, is that unthinkable right now? It is unthinkable, but maybe 10 years from now it won't be unthinkable. And I'm really concerned for the younger generation, for the young guys, for our children, for uh, grandchildren. I don't have grandchildren, but, you know, I will have grandchildren one day, you know. And uh, what world will they be in? But it is our job. It is our job to be the standard of truth. It is our job in a world that's gone crazy. It is our job. It is the, the, it is the job of the real church. We're talking about the real church. What is the real church? Is it the compromising church, the go-along, the kind of church? No, it is the real church is the church that sets itself as, as, well, we have a standard of truth that is fixed, that hasn't changed. That... Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, maybe that's good. I'll, but I'll, I'll, let me just say this. Can you imagine a world without real absolutes? Imagine highways without guardrails. Intersections without stop signs. Um, imagine, you know, one day I was, I was preaching in a place called New Plymouth. And the pastor said, I want to bless you. I said, great. He said, I'm going to take you on a glider. A glider. glider. Is it glider? Glider. Glider. A glider, you know what a glider is? A plane that works without engine, that, you know, it's, it takes off. You, you sit in these things. There's no engine in it. And there's a rope. And, and then there's a, a plane in front of you. That plane starts on the runway, takes off. And then because you're tied to that plane, it, it, you start flying. And once it reaches a certain altitude, then that rope is taken, and you're just on your own, uh, gliding. And I'm thinking, does, does he want to bless me or kill me? I'm, I'm like, oh, God, you know. Now, don't worry. There was a pilot with me in the glider. Hey, true story. It was his first, I was his first client, his first customer <laughs> since he got the license. He's like, you know, first one. And he wants to show off. Yeah, let me try this one. And he goes, and like, ah, ah, you know, praying. My prayer life increased tremendously from that point onward. <laughs> At one point, he said, let me show you a really good one. Do you want to try the, I don't know, many Gs? You know, I'm going to put you through, I don't know, many Gs. You know, Gs is when your face goes. <laughs> and, and, and so he said, okay, get ready. I'm in the front of the glider. I believe I can fly. <laughs> anyway. And, 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 and he just pointed the, noise, the nose down, and suddenly I'm like, Kah! and the pilot is saying, we're, go, we're now dropping at 200 kilometers an hour, and it will increase. I'm like, ah, what a way to go. Jesus. And then he lifted the nose and goes up, and then you know, I start feeling the G-forces. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm about to find it. And I've got a video camera going. And I've got it on video. I'll show you. No, I won't. It would be too embarrassing. The face of fear. I'm like, ah. The guy said, are you, okay, let me do another one. No. I said, no, let's go now. I want to land this thing. I'm out of here. And suddenly, I see a plane flying in our direction. Literally. And when you're up there and a plane comes towards you at maybe three, 400 kilometers an hour, it comes really quickly. Scott's getting bigger and bigger by the second. It's like, and he did a, an evasive maneuver, got out of the way, 
I don't know many G's. I was like, no, I'm ready to jump out of this thing. I'll never, ever sit on a... But he said, what a crazy guy. There are rules in the sky. This is a no-fly zone for planes. This is just for gliders. This guy, he could end up... In, I'm going to report him. I, he's going, he could end up in jail. You know, there are... Can you imagine a, a world without rules? A world without, can you imagine the, the chaos? There's about 100,000 planes that every day take off from airports in the world. Every 24 hours, about 100,000 planes in the air at any one time. Can you imagine now banning traffic controllers, air traffic controllers, banning conventions and laws and rules around that? It would be chaotic. Listen. The Bible says in the last days, lawlessness will abound. What does that mean? It means that there will be a noticeable resistance and even rejection to any fixed rules or absolute truth. Let me just say this to you. Error destroys, but truth sets one free. Amen. The truth is about life. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on. Give Jesus a big hand. Hallelujah. Now, real, I'm going to close in, in two minutes or beginning to close or something. But let me just say this. Real church is the church that stands on real truth. The assignment for the real church in these last days is to stay faithful to the truth and to be stewards of the truth. We don't want to be proudful about the truth. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't go around telling people, well, I am in the truth. Where are you? You are. I mean, it's not about that. It's not holier than thou kind of attitude. But we are stewards of the truth. And let's not keep quiet about the truth. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's walk in the truth. Let's be, let's be the truth to a world that has lost its way. First Timothy, this last scripture. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. It says, For if I am delayed, I write to you, that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, here's a, church, a message for the church, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. In a world that has lost its way, God has set up a pillar and a foundation of truth. Uh, the Passion Translation says, the supporting pillar and firm foundation of the truth. And the word pillar in the Greek conveys the idea of strength, stability, and authority. So our job is not to get mad at the world, but to be that visible and changing pillar so that they can find their way to the truth. And I tell you what, the truth is a person. And that person is Jesus. The truth is a person, and that person is Jesus. So the Roman governor, he said, what is truth? What is truth? And the Roman governor had the answer to this question right before him. A short time before his arrest, Jesus had declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What a moment. What a moment. What, a, what an opportunity. But Pilate, you know, he could have acknowledged the moment. He could have acknowledged the opportunity that was set before him. He could have chosen to hear what Jesus had to say. He could have made a decision that would have changed his life forever. That was probably the last time Pilate saw Jesus. But that, we, that is not the last time Pilate saw Jesus. Because the Bible says in Revelation 1-7 that one day 
every eye will see Jesus, even those who have pierced him. There will be one more time that Pilate will see Jesus. There will be one more time that there will be a reversal of roles when Jesus stood as being judged. One day, Pilate will stand to be judged. And I tell you what, I, I think Pilate will regret the decision that he never made. I believe that Pilate will regret the time he never gave to Jesus to be in his presence and to hear, even for just a few more moments, what Jesus had to say about the truth. And I believe there will be so many people they will have attended services like this. They would have watched videos like this. And, and, but they haven't given it a second thought. They've walked away. They said, well, this is too much. Well, this is not for me. This is, this is just too narrow-minded for my understanding. This is, and, and you know what? One day they will see the Jesus we talk about. And they will regret not having made the decision, not having taken that step. But maybe there's someone here today, you've come invited to this place today. And I want to encourage you right now with every fiber of my being that you don't leave this place the same way you came in. That as I have presented the truth and I've talked about Jesus, that indeed you will make a decision to say yes to Jesus and to accept Him into your life.